Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Aurora Underground podcast. I'm your host, Dave the Grave Hunter. I'm a geophysicist and the director of Hunter Geophysics. This episode was published on the evening of 14th of July 2016. I apologise for the delay in getting this episode to you. I've been quite busy with my symmetry consulting work, developing an Aurora forecasting app, preparing for the upcoming Aurora forecasting workshops, then I've had my university exams, and then I also got scarlet fever for the last two months, so um, things haven't been the best for me. So uh, yes, I think you can understand why there's been this delay. On to the news. I um, Firstly, I had the pleasure of being interviewed by Brendan O'Brien for his Astrophys podcast. Uh, during the interview, we discussed my work as an archaeological geophysicist, uh, some basic physics principles, a bit about my work in heliophysics and the space weather forecasting. Brendan will be publishing this interview sometime next week. That's the week starting uh, what date would that be? 15, 18th of July. Um, his podcast can be found at astrophys.wordpress.com. That's A-S-T-R-O-P-H-I-Z dot wordpress.com. Secondly, as I alluded to a moment ago, I will be running an Aurora forecasting workshop and then a separate photography basics workshop throughout Victoria, and hopefully, depending on the numbers, further abroad. The first of these workshops will begin on the weekend of the 27th and 28th of August and will be held in Brighton, just southeast of the Melbourne CBD. Tickets will be available via my website and listen for this new one because it's a new website address, www.auroraaustralis.space. There is no .com, just auroraaustralis.space. And tickets will go on sale hopefully by the 20th of July, if not beforehand. Uh, there are no other community announcements this, for this episode, so um, if you have any anything you'd like announced, um, please feel free to send me an email or find me on Facebook and send me a message there. My contact details can be found on my website, either auroraaustralis.space or huntergeophysics.com. In this episode, I interview Aaron Stanley, who is currently living at Davis Station in Antarctica. He's uh, managed to capture quite a lot of good aurora photos um, while he's been down there. Let's listen in. Okay, so we're joined today by Aaron Stanley, who is supporting the Bureau of Meteorology's Upper Air Program. He's currently based at uh, Davis Station in Antarctica. Aaron, thank you very much for calling us from from afar, and uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks very much, David, and thanks for the opportunity to uh, speak on your podcast. So, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, for instance, where, where did you grow up? What did you What did you study as a as a student? Okay, yeah, I um I grew up in Sunbury, which is located in the uh, northwestern kind of fringes of outer Melbourne. After completing uh, VC, I went on to study uh, aerospace engineering. And shortly after that, I was uh, accepted uh, to do a pre-vocational sponsorship with Ansett Australia. And that went on for about a year. And then after that, I started as a second-year apprentice as an aircraft maintenance engineer in avionics. And that was in 2001. And uh, in September, we all know that uh, Ansett collapsed. And I was uh, lucky to be an apprentice at the time. So um, I was taken on by Qantas and... I was with Qantas for 12 and a half years before taking a uh, redundancy, um, a venture into a new career, which I kind of started with the Bureau of Meteorology now. That sounds like a, a very interesting job that you had there. I, um, 
I remember the first um, time I went on a, on a aircraft, I, I flew to a, a Gold Coast. It would have been in oh, perhaps the mid mid to late nineties, and um, that was that was a, a whole different time, of course, before nine um, eleven happened, and they let us up at the up the front in the cockpit, and we got to see them flying around, and um, that was a, a whole other time that you wouldn't be able to do that these days, would you? Um, no, definitely not. Yeah, it's uh, restricted to the flight crew um, these days. So yeah, things have uh, changed dramatically. Okay, so uh, what uh, what training did you do prior to leaving for Antarctica? Uh, so prior to uh, leaving for Antarctica, um, quite an intensive training program. I did training for the Bureau of Meteorology at their uh, training centre, which involved learning about the equipment and how to maintain it and carry out calibration checks. We also did observer training, so we're learning all about the atmosphere, cloud types, uh, different meteorological phenomena, uh, learning about sea ice types, uh, basically reading reading the weather and what it's doing. And we also went into uh, station simulation during the last few weeks, so basically uh, releasing weather balloons, how to release them, and uh, and obviously um, uh, looking at the uh, atmosphere and looking at what the information comes back. Uh, from our from our weather balloons, uh, we also did training um, as an aerodrome weather observer, uh, providing a, they call them metars and species during aircraft operations. They're meteorological uh, aerodrome reports. So basically, uh, what we can see real time, what's happening uh, during aircraft operations. We also did training with the Australian Antarctic Division in Kingston, Tasmania. We did a five-day firefighting course with TAS Fire Services. We did search and rescue, uh, vertical rescue, uh, including towers. We did first aid training. Uh, we also did uh, communication and team activities because it's such a small group of us during the winter. There's only 16 of us here during the winter. Um, so we all know how to communicate and uh, sort issues out if, uh, if anything arises. Yeah, so it was quite uh, quite an intensive training program that went uh, for about five or six months. Okay, so that's a, a fairly intensive um, course to be doing, then. That's and I can certainly understand why you'd you'd uh, you would need that uh, level of training, especially as you say, a, a very small crew, only sixteen of you. It's such a an isolated place. Where is the, the nearest uh, contact uh, besides uh, away from, from Davis? Is there a how, how far to the nearest station or how far to the nearest ship that might be able to bring supplies or, or help you out with anything? Okay, yeah, the, um, the closest station to us is uh, Zhang Shan Station. That's a uh, Chinese station. I believe that's about a hundred odd kilometres uh, from Davis Station, and then. The closest one to that uh, would be um, a Russian station. Um, and I've forgotten the name of that Russian station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the closest one is the Chinese station. Um, yeah, being such a small community, um, only 16 of us, you know, we have to be a tight-knit community and we have to support each other in our roles. Uh, we do have a doctor on station. Um, so if we have any issues that arise, uh, there is a doctor here. Um, as far as ships and things like that, um, depends on uh, what the closest ship is at the time. All the Antarctic stations uh, kind of cling together when there's an emergency and they do assist each other. Um, so, uh, for example, when um, 
when the Aurora Australis uh, ran aground at Morton Station earlier this year um, that had all our winter station supplies on board. Unfortunately, that ship had to return for repairs and uh, we didn't see any of our um, winter supplies, <laughs> um, including food as well. I had a few boxes of my own personal effects on the ship. So, yeah, we're um, maintaining um, uh, what we can here uh, with our food supplies for the winter. We we will have enough to see us through, but we do have uh, emergency supplies of food uh, if we do need to, um, you know, if we do get in that type of situation. Well, it's certainly a... A difficult circumstance to be to be put in, but it's good to know that, of course, that you've got enough food to to last until you until you get home. Um, that, that's pretty assuring to know. Could you just step us through um, your your typical day there? I mean, for instance, is there a, a communal uh, eating area like a mess hall, or and is there is it just the one chef, or do you each have individual kitchenettes, and then you or you and then you all go back to working together, or? or how does that work out? Is it, is it sort of like um, what happens on the space station where you all have communal meals? Or Okay, yeah. So um, we actually have a chef uh, on station which uh, provides meals seven days a week. Um, on Sundays, one of the 16 people will be, they call it a slushy roster. So one of us will be uh, basically the uh, chef that day. We can cook our own meal uh, for, um, for lunch. Um, and then for dinner on Sundays, we usually have a Sunday roast, which the chef uh, pre-prepares, and then uh, the person who is doing the slushy duty on that day um, just puts everything in the oven and um, and prepares dinner for everyone, which is quite uh, quite daunting. I did uh, my first uh, Sunday slushy, <laughs> um, just a Sunday just gone, so... But um, that was good to um, good to be in the kitchen and learn quite a few things off the chef. Yeah, the the, the meals here are absolutely awesome. Uh, they were prepared by a chef. We also have our own uh, hydroponics uh, room uh, where we grow our own um, uh, grow our own uh, vegetables and things like that. So we we do have some fresh supplies of uh, fruit and veggies, but uh, not that many. Well, that's good to know that you're um, that you're actually growing fruit and vegetables down there. I was also wondering about that, and that was going to be my question. So that's good that you've answered that. I um, it, I do see a lot of parallels between um, Antarctica, where you where you're staying, and um, and of course spaceflight. Although obviously you 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 got the benefit of having gravity. <laughs> um, what what's the weather like down there? I mean, we we always know Antarctica is cold, and people seem to think that it's wet, even though it's actually the driest continent uh, in the world. But uh, is it, for instance, always windy down there, or do you get days where there's just a gentle breeze coming off the shore, or is it just constantly cold and and uh, you don't want to go outside? Well, yeah, it's pretty much cold all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I arrived, <laughs> when I arrived at Davis Station, uh, it was um, pretty much daylight for uh, 24 hours, and um, we um, we did get some days which was um, uh, just above zero degrees in uh, temperature. Um, I know that most people say that it doesn't rain in Antarctica, but you do uh, get the odd occasion where it will rain. Um, not that we've seen any this season at this stage. Um, but snow is quite often here. Um, the temperature at the moment is uh, minus 10 degrees, which um, we've had uh, we've had minimum temperatures. Uh, around about minus 22 
about a week and a half ago. So the temperatures have been fluctuating a little bit here and there. Uh, when it does snow, uh, you notice the temperatures uh, are, are quite warm. Um, so minus 10 for us is uh, quite warm. <laughs> <laughs> um, the winds are, the winds at Davis Station are um, predominantly from the north-northeast uh, direction and they come off the uh, plateau. The plateau is basically where the... Um, where the Antarctic ice sheet meets the um, Vestfold Hills around Davis Station. Uh, so the wind basically um, is generated uh, from basically basically the South Pole and that runs towards the ocean. Um, so, yeah, we, we do get quite strong winds here, but not as strong as some of the other stations. We don't get that many blizzards here at... Uh, Davis Station compared to uh, things like Casey Station or Mawson Station, they get quite a few blizzards. So you, you're um, supporting the Bureau of Meteorology's Upper Air Program. What exactly is the Upper Air Program? What, what, is it, what are they uh, trying to achieve down there? What are they researching? Yeah, so the, uh, the Bureau's Upper Air Program consists of uh, one to two balloon uh, releases per day. Um, so everyone around the world releases uh, the balloons either at 11 Zulu or 23 Zulu. Um, basically, we inflate a weather balloon uh, with the right amount of hydrogen gas, which will allow it to rise at a rate of 300 metres per minute, uh, which is set by the World Meteorological uh, Organisation. We attach a package called a radio sonde, uh, which measures temperature, humidity, air pressure, wind speed and wind direction. And all that information is relayed back to our ground station and displayed. Um, so that's how we get our atmospheric sounding. So all of that information is inputted into the World Meteorological Organization's uh, system and uh, all countries uh, participate in that, um, which uh, gives us uh, climate information to look at previous history and also to provide uh, information for, for weather forecasting as well. And um, also in support of the Upper Air Program, uh, we carry out regular um, surface Synoptic observations. We look at cloud types and cloud heights. We get information from our automatic weather stations here. Things like maximum and minimum temperatures, air pressure, wind speed and wind direction. And we also input uh, weather phenomena like snow, blowing snow, drifting snow, fog, and um, and their intensity. Right. Okay. So that's that's quite a, an intensive um, program that you of data collection that you're embarking on. What uh, just if you know what, what um, amount of, of data in terms of megabytes or, or gigabytes do you collect every for every balloon flight, and how um, how is that data then relayed back to to um, or to I presume it goes to to the internet somewhere? How is it? How, how do you actually connect to the internet to actually relay that data on? Okay, yes, the information that gets received, we um, <laughs> we also carry out. A uh, ozone weather balloon uh, release uh, once a week, uh, in which we attach a um, a uh, package to a ozone balloon, which is uh, a larger balloon, um, and that goes up to higher in the atmosphere, and that measures the um, the amount of ozone content in the air. Um, or in, in in the atmosphere, and that information is relayed back to back to us, and then. Uh, the the information that uh, we receive um, 
it's probably about maybe seven seven megabytes in uh, in total, and um, we uh, zip that um, information and, and email that through to um, back to the bureau um, in regards to communications and all that. Um, most of that, well, sorry, all of that information is um, relayed through the um, Anari Sat um, satellite uh, communications. Right, okay, so you, you're um, running on, on satellite internet, but essentially there. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. But how do you, is there um, the chance for you to use the internet? I mean, obviously you're using the internet now um, for not exactly work purposes to call me, but um, what, uh, what, what, um, I mean, are you able to, for instance, have a Skype video chat with your family and friends or in, in your downtime, or is there, um, is, is there, are there bandwidth issues there? Yeah, the um, the internet is uh, reasonably slow here at, in Antarctica, um, obviously because of our uh, remote location. Uh, um, it does cost a lot for, for the Bureau and the AAD, or the Australian Antarctic Division, to uh, provide uh, internet access uh, for us expeditioners. Um, there are still stations uh, in Antarctica that have no internet access, so I'm very uh, thankful to uh, have some kind of communication with the rest of the world. Um, well, we are limited. Um, we can't uh, use any site for anything like that, which takes up quite a bit of bandwidth. Um, obviously, we have no uh, no uh, TVs or anything down here, but um, on the odd occasion, special occasions, uh, we might get uh, Kingston or the, uh, the Australian Antarctic Division to download, um, you know, things like the football, and then um, we can get that. Uh, sent to us, uh, uh, you know, of, of a night time uh, when no one's using the internet, and uh, we can watch that um, at a later date. <laughs> so yeah, the, um, the internet is um, is reasonably slow, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely better than having no internet at all. Yeah, so I imagine that being uh, connected uh, would certainly be a very good thing to do to have for um for all well, for your insanity, really. So just moving on to the inevitable. Uh, aspect of this interview, uh, the auroras. How many times have you seen the auroras since arriving at Davis Station? Yeah, I've seen the aurora many times. It almost seems like countless times at this stage. <laughs> um, the auroras um, do occur uh, on a nightly basis here. Um, they are most of the times quite weak, but when we do get um, the geomagnetic storms and, and things like that, um, they are extremely active. I remember, obviously, when I first arrived at Davis, uh, it's pretty much uh, daylight 24-7, um, so you wouldn't be able to see any auroras, and we, we did actually miss out on quite a few. You, we saw photos from back home, and mm. we could see all the, all the live information coming through to say that there's auroras, but we, could, we couldn't see anything because it was daylight. And then as the time went on, um, slowly the, the night time has been increasing in length, our days at this, at this stage are about nine, nine and a half hours long. It was quite funny. I actually did a presentation on auroras, the uh, 16 uh, wintering crew, and uh, two nights later we saw our first major aurora. Um, and that was on the 11th and 12th of March. It first uh, started mostly overhead, and there were very faint colours, uh, mostly purples in colour. And uh, we could, you could actually see the beams and uh and, and and the veil um and at one stage there, there was also a um a corona as well where uh basically all all the 
beans actually led up through one one area, like a like a point in 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 like right above us, and that that was pretty cool to see. On the thirteenth of March, we um we had some green bands and and some beams which were quite low on the horizon. So that was uh, basically from Davis Station looking north uh, towards the, uh, uh, the basically the middle of the ocean in in, in, the, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so, and then um, on the 18th of March, uh, there was a predicted uh, KP5 uh, G, uh, G1 uh, geomagnetic storm. Basically, that started off... Uh, uh, there was an aurora, a uh, faint aurora. You could see it was green and it was quite low on the horizon to the north. Quite fast moving. Um, and then you could see the bears were slowly moving towards the northeast. And uh, then all of a sudden the, the action just started and basically moved directly overhead. And it was so bright. We were taking photos at the time, and you just had to change all your camera settings because it was as bright as daylight. That how bright this aurora was. It was bright green, and it was moving so fast that sometimes you could not even capture it with your camera. You you were taking like one second photos, and it was just moving that fast. It was just the most amazing aurora that I had seen at that stage. Um, it was it was almost indescribable. I actually had to stop for you know a few minutes and just actually enjoy enjoy the show. It was um uh um, um <laughs> just totally unbelievable to to think that something like that uh, could happen in our atmosphere. Um yeah and and to 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 actually see it was um absolutely amazing. Yeah, and I imagine that actually seeing it with your own eyes instead of through a camera would be. Uh, another experience again. I mean, I remember the first time I saw my, my first aurora, and I'm sure everyone has all had this same situation, the same experience when you see your first aurora, and you just you 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 you. Well, I'm I'm obviously stuttering here because I just can't find the words to describe it, and um, I suppose that's probably what you've just gone through uh, that night as well. Um, so, how many actual um, have you been able to take many many photos? Uh, have you done any time lapses, for instance, of, of this uh, of these displays? Yeah, I've been able to take um, heaps of aurora photos. My hard drive's uh, <laughs> filling up with lots of photos. Um, I've <laughs> taken uh, quite a few um, uh, time lapses of the auroras. I'm still trying to put them all together because, as you could imagine, you've got uh, you know hundreds of photos of. of of these auroras, I'm not getting sick of them yet. <laughs> There's no two auroras that are the same, but um, yeah, it's um, it just happens so often, um, and they're just absolutely spectacular to see. Obviously, it is dependent on weather conditions. Um, I do believe that there is a um, a KP5 G1 storm uh, predicted uh, tomorrow morning, but um, which will be uh, from 7 a.m. till about uh, 4 p.m. Uh, Davis local time, so it will be uh, pretty much daytime here. Um, at the moment, we do have a lot of cloud cover, so we're hoping that it might arrive uh, a little bit later, so we um, can get the cloud cover out of the way. Yeah, well, that, that should be for the um, co-rotating inter- interaction region. Um, that's that's uh, that's that's due, and then uh, hopefully sometime after that, we should have the um, the high speed stream from this coronal hole. It's it's looking quite nasty at the moment. 
Um, I'm actually sitting at my computer and I can see all the, um, the solar imagery at the moment. And this coronal hole is, um, no, it's, it's not, uh, it's not the biggest we've ever seen, but it's certainly not a small one. Um, I think this, this, this particular hole last cycle was, get out a pretty good view here in, in Victoria even. So, um, actually that's, that's roughly a month ago, which would have been that, that, uh, that 11th of March storm that you were discussing. Uh, maybe a bit, bit off because of the timing. Um, but certainly I think that, um, you'll most likely get a good, good display, I think, towards the end of the week, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully if, uh, if we don't see anything here that you guys see the storm, so that, uh, that should be good. Yeah. So, um, do you have any other website or a blog or, or something like that where people can follow your, your news? Or? Yeah, I've got my own uh, website, uh, which has got my blog uh, located on there, um, and that is www.apsphotography.com.au. And, uh, yeah, as I said, I've got my blog on that web page and I've got a link to my Facebook page as well. And, uh, there's also a couple of links on there to some PowerPoint presentations, uh, that I've done on, uh, auroras and photography as well, uh, which will help people out with some, with some locations on, uh, on where to go and how to, um, photograph and basically what, uh, what an aurora is as well. Yeah. Is there anyone before we go that you'd like to see? Uh, hello to back home. Um, yeah. Shout out to my uh, to my parents and my brother and sister in law and uh, all the rest of my family and friends. Um, I'm having an absolutely fantastic time here, and um, I can't wait until I return. Uh, hopefully in November, December, um, and uh, yeah, to be able to show you uh, more of my photos and and all. Of my experiences that I'm having here. Okay, great, and I'm sure that uh, you'll you'll like to share those photos with us as well. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time, Aaron. It's been a blast to talk to you, <laughs> and you certainly um, helped pick, paint a good picture as to what exactly you're you're experiencing down there. I do, do appreciate it a lot, as I'm sure uh, all our listeners do as well. So thank you. Yeah, no worries, and I uh, thanks David for the uh, for the opportunity. It's been great. I hope you've enjoyed this interview with Aaron Stanley. Just a quick reminder that I'll be running Aurora Forecasting and Photography Workshops on the 27th and 28th of August in Brighton in southeast Melbourne. Tickets will be on sale from my website by the 20th of July. Please see www.auroraaustralis.space for details. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.